Good morning. That was nice. That was really nice of you guys to welcome me. I appreciate it. Hey, have you enjoyed this? This has been a great week. Just opening my windows up, like just enjoying the fresh air. I love this time of year. It lasts for like three weeks, and then winter hits, and you get disappointed. But let's enjoy it while we're here. Uh, so today we're kind of wrapping up our four-week series on values and visions. Uh, we've, we've talked about quite a few things. Let's just do a quick review these were the values that we've talked about over the last four weeks now. Uh, truth that guides is a belief that God's word is the preeminent source of truth that guides our lives and our relationships. Pursuit of godliness is just this belief that we should desire to be more and more like Jesus throughout our life, in our hearts, and our words, and our deeds. And then last week we talked about loving our neighbors. And we said that it's important to understand where our love comes from and understanding it does come from God and then it works outwardly from there. And then this week, we talk about a generous heart. So the value of a generous heart, um, subtext would be this. It would be a generous heart in our service, in our giving, in our love, and in our grace and truth. And so as we've seen, these values kind of build upon themselves. Truth that guides kind of, kind of builds into a pursuit of godliness. And a pursuit of godliness kind of produces a love for our neighbors. And loving our neighbors kind of brings opportunities to have a generous heart. And so I think any time a pastor or a church leader comes up in front of you and says, hey, we're talking about generosity today, there might be a fear that that person is just going to ask the congregation for a lot more money. Well, I'm just going to dispel the myths and the concerns that's not happening today, okay? That's next week, okay? So you may want to consider that as you come back. That's not true. I will not, however, water down Scripture to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and our generosity. I do want to challenge us in this value of a generous heart because it's important for us as believers to understand. We want to address some, some beliefs and attitudes that can kind of affect us in this area of generosity and replace them with kind of some biblical truths. And then we want to talk a few, about a few basics in the realm of generosity and leave you with some important concepts and then bring it down to what it means for us personally and as a church. And so over the last few weeks, I've kind of, as I've spoken about these values, I've kind of intertwined some major tenets of the Christian faith within these values because I believe that there are some things that we need to talk about because we lose sight of them inside the walls of the church and Christianity. I want to provide us right thinking in the areas of God's word and his in unity and obedience and the corruption in our hearts and ultimately why we love. It's important that we understand these things. And so today we're going to deal with this issue called lordship, this idea called lordship. So as we speak about a generous heart, we kind of want to incorporate this idea of lordship. It's a belief as a Christian that when I surrender my life to Christ, when I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, I surrender my will and my life to him. When Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 9, when he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When he says that, understand that confession from your mouth and belief in your heart when it comes to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice carries much more implications and weight than your, implicate or your confession by your mouth and belief in your heart that an apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's just different. One is for your health, the other is the substance of all life. 
So Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3 says this, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is what we are confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart, that he is the sovereign king of the universe and his power sustains us. And so we make room for God's spirit to live inside of us and we surrender our ways and our thoughts to him. Much like the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 55 in the book of Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Christianity without lordship is just a grouping of virtuous ideas that lack substance in the sustaining power to transform hearts and bring flourishing to our lives. Quite possibly it can be said in a lot of cases that we just want to embrace enough of the gospel to belong to the group, but not enough of the gospel to embrace his lordship in our lives, that we might surrender the control of our lives and our wills to him. And without lordship, we produce this type of cultural Christianity that worships the God or gods that we want and not the God who is. Let's not make that mistake. He is who he says he is. And so in this area of lordship and the lack thereof it, we can produce some really faulty beliefs and attitudes about many things especially the practices of generosity. So let's kind of talk about these attitudes and beliefs um, and the values that, that kind of rob us some traction in the area of generosity. The first belief is this, like it's, it's mine, like it's my stuff. I think of those pigeons in the movie Finding Dory, just mine, 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 mine. Like it's my stuff, it's my money, it's my things, it's my time, it belongs to me. And we like to keep our stuff. Here's a little interactive thought game for you. I wouldn't call this nation a group of hoarders, but we certainly like to keep things longer than we like to give things away. In 2014, it was said that there is this amount of rentable, leasable storage space in the United States. Just Put a number in your head of rentable, leasable storage space in the U.S. 2.3 billion square feet of leasable storage space. That is enough to warehouse or store every single man, woman, and child that lives in this country. In 1973, the average square footage of a house, maybe get a number, was 1,660 square feet. The average size of a home today is 2,679 square feet. That's almost 1,000 square feet more in the homes today than in 1973. Now, this speaks to our desire to have stuff. We just have to make room for it. And I don't want to criticize you for having storage units or bigger houses, but we can find status in our stuff. Like, we find emotional well-being sometimes in buying things for other people and ourselves. 
all of which are empty wells that bring no long-term satisfaction to our life. Jesus himself warns us against this behavior in Matthew 6 when he says, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So here's just some reality check for us. Like it is not our stuff. It's not our stuff. This isn't our lives. It is not about us. It's not about us. Asaph, David's choir director, writes in Psalm 50, he writes these words, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hill. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world in its fullness are mine. This is not our stuff. It is his. And he has graciously blessed us with it on loan. He has blessed us with it. Our our stuff, our houses, our children, our families are all from him. Don't forget who gives us those things. And don't buy into this poor belief. I earned it. Like, I earned my stuff. Like, it's my stuff. Well, of course you put effort into it, right? Of course you worked hard. Those are great tenets. Like, Jesus and God tells us, Jesus tells us that we should serve him dutifully. We should do all things as if we are working for the Lord. Work is not a human creation. God designed work from the beginning of time. In Genesis, he put man and woman in the garden and said, work it. In Genesis 3, when the fall happened, he said, you would work the ground by the sweat of your brow for the rest of your life. If we don't try, if we don't have effort, if we don't work hard, then not having those things produce some really tragic realities in our lives. We should work hard. We should have effort. But remember who provides it for us. Ecclesiastes 3.13, Solomon writes this, And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Every, enjoy, every product is his. Enjoy the products of your labor. Enjoy them. But remember, it is a gift from God. You did not earn your lot in life. You did not choose to be born in this country. You did not choose to be born into the situation that you were born in. You did not choose to be given the kind of parents that you have. You did not choose to have the giftings that God gave you in your life. He gave them to you. He provides us opportunity to have much. And be grateful for that. Don't have an arrogant attitude because you were born here and not in some small village in Syria, that you have somehow earned your lot in life. God has given you this opportunity. And Paul would remind us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, or chapter 15, verse 10, that but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that it was in me. We are what we are because of his grace. I am what I am because of the grace of God. Don't lose that. Don't forget that by the grace of God. And then the last attitude that can pop up in a heart that isn't surrendering in this area of lordship to Christ is a belief that I need it. It's just, I need that stuff, Steve. I need it. A few months ago, I was having a conversation with one of my friends who has extensively visited Africa and spent some time over there. 
And one of the things that can frustrate him about missions in the United States is this belief that we should export our version of Christianity to other people. That we almost in some ways pity Christians living across the world that don't have the kind of GDP that we have, the kind of gross domestic product. We almost pity them. But my friend tells me this. He says, in Africa, I meet so many people that are happy. I would even say joyful because it's not about their stuff. Now, there are certainly people who are struggling there as there are people who are struggling here, but their happiness is not quantified by their stuff. Sometimes I wonder how much misery we cause on ourselves in the pursuit of things and wealth and success and then owning those things. And maybe you, like me, have been spitten with this thought that a simpler life with less stuff almost seems poetic. We don't need stuff. We don't need money. It is not our happiness. I want joy that comes from the Father. And I know that there is some fear in saying, like, I can't imagine my life without this. I can't imagine my life without this. But we have so much more in the offer that Christ has given us. I love what the author C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Weight of Glory. In it, he talks about our infatuation with the world, and he, he says this. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. God has offered us an abundant joy and a sustaining life in him. His way, his life brings more to us than we could ever imagine. His lordship in our lives bring more than what our self-deluded ideas of doing this ourselves, that we can do this better, do. We are far too easily pleased with running on the hamster wheel towards materialism and selfishness when we have been offered a sustaining life, a flourishing life in him in him alone. And so these ideas of it's mine and I earned it and I need it are not characteristics befitting a true believer. It's not befitting a follower of Christ. And so we want to give some right thinking in this area, this value of a generous heart. I just want to kind of highlight two basic, basic principles that are kind of paramount in establishing this value in our life. The first is this. We can give because he first gave. We give because he first gave. When we understand our corrupt condition, like we are worse than we think that we were, and we were once enemies of God, but now we are reconciled to God by Christ's redemptive work on the cross. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of a king that we should not ever remember that we are sons and daughters of a king. What else do we need? And he has given us as a good God the things that we have. In James 1, verses 16 and 17, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. 
Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Our God does not change, and he gives to us as he sees fits, fit. We are to be stewards, simply managers, overlookers of the, the resources and the gifts that he gives us. We are not wardens of a prison cell that lock our stuff and our wealth inside of it. It comes in from God and it goes out for God. And look, this, this doesn't mean that we don't enjoy it. God has given us permission to enjoy his blessings. Absolutely. But we do not find our identity and we do not find our purpose in these things. There is a, a great story of the early pioneering days in the U.S. about a young man who sets out on an expedition um, to, to another place. And during the early days of that expedition, a, a party of Indians came and stole most of his supplies for that trip. Most of his surprise. And on hearing this and learning of this, the comments from this young pioneer are quite incredible. He says this about his misfortune. He says, with the weight of our baggage being so lightened, our next day's journey was more swift and pleasant. I just love that. The weight of our baggage being so much lightened, our next day's journey was more swift and pleasant. They were en route to something far more special, far more interesting, far more important that the loss of a few bacons, a size of bacon and a few sacks of flowers were just an easement of their load. Had he been set up somewhere in a cabin just trying to eke out an existence on the things that he had collected, the loss of those supplies might have worried one almost to the point of death. You see, how we respond to losing some of our resources for God's work depends solely on whether or not we believe that we're heading to something greater than this life has to offer us or a belief that this is just our last stand. But those who are Christians in here who have been justified with Christ know that we have been called to greater things, not just in the next life, but on this earth. Greater things than success and wealth and possessions greater purposes, a greater mission. And if we keep that in mind, if we keep that in mind, if we remember that, what he has done for us, what he has given us, that he gave it to us first, it has the ability to transform our hearts and allow our hands and our arms to be open with our possessions and our time and our grace and our resources and our love. Don't forget who he is, what he's done, and what our mission on earth is. Here's another basic idea. Generosity is not optional for the believer. It is evidence of God's grace in your life. Generosity is not optional for the believer. It is evidence of God's grace in our life. Jesus says as part of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 6, verse 38, he says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Here is a command to give. And when we give, he says it will be given back to us. And not necessarily in worldly material gain, but in spiritual and heavenly benefits. 
John writes in his first epistle, 1 John, in chapter 3, 17, but if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Compassion and generosity and selflessness are fingerprints of a heart that has been transformed by the gospel of Christ. And if our heart, if our heart is closed off to the things that this verse talked about, then we should consider whether or not God's love really reigns in our hearts. God is not saying that generosity is just a good idea. He is saying that it is a mark of a believer. And it is a mark of a believer because we are the ones who are to bring hope to the world, refuge to the hopeless, comfort to the burdens, a heart in a life that shows no generosity in its doings, does not allow the people who surround that person to see God in any way. Friends, it is the strangeness of Christianity that is a refreshing drink to those who are dying of thirst in this world. It is not the sameness or the similarity to a dying culture that will be a sweet aroma to those who are perishing. It is the strangeness of Christianity that we would reflect the generosity of Christ because our hearts have been transformed by the gospel. That is a drink that this world needs. We are to be different. There's no mistake in it. There's no mistake when we read scripture that our lives are to look different than what this world has to offer us. Generosity is one of those areas. And so with that said, I want to kind of bring three kind of important concepts in this area of generosity. One is just a belief that we give to God from the top and not the bottom. Like we give to God from the top and not the bottom. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your produce. And look, I think what can happen at times, and I'm guilty of it, is that we run and we run and we run and we run, and then at the end of the day, or at the end of a paycheck, you think, oh, I need to make room for God in this. And look, I commend you for having that thought even. Some don't even have that thought. But wouldn't it make much more sense, me, a wiser decision, and maybe bring us a richer life if we just decided to give to God what is his first not just in our wealth, but in our time, in our possessions, in our heart. I mean, hasn't he earned that? Don't we owe him that much? During one of our open sharing times at Men's Breakfast this past month, which, by the way, Men's Breakfast on Saturday, love to see you guys there. It's a great opportunity uh, just to plug in with guys. We do a lot of uh and uh and like uh and that stuff. It's mostly Kim Yergler. Um, it's really weird. I don't know why he does it. But in one of those times that we were sharing, um, we were talking about how God has changed our life the most, where he has changed our heart the most. And one of the, the men just spoke up and he says, you know, God really has worked in my life through tithing. He said, my wife and I, a long time ago, just made a decision that we we're going to give to God right off the top. And of course, we were a little worried that we wouldn't make things meet. But he said, we always had enough. We always had enough. And he said that that thought, that I trust God, became a belief when I put it into practice. And he, God, delivered on that promise. It's a crazy. Second thought, important concept. Don't be, don't be owners 
not participants. Be owners, not just participants. What is your investment level around here? Like, how much are you involved? How connected are you? For us to have a generous heart, we have to see and to be informed. Investment increases opportunity and knowledge increases passion. Now look, my wife, she makes fun of me at times for my fanhood to the Chicago Cubs, all right? And she's not alone in that. But no one's laughing this year, okay? No one's laughing this year. I am invested in the Cubs, and it starts with I was just like a four or five-year-old boy watching Cubs games with my mom and my brother. It was just a part of my summertime. It's just I grew up in it. I'm invested. I know the players. I know the farm system. I say the words we and us when I talk about the Cubs. Now, that may seem silly to you, but I enjoy them in their proper place. But can I ask us this? Do we say we and us when we talk about this church? Do we say the words we and us with this? Because it matters. Are we owners of this place? It makes a difference. Do we say we and us when we talk about the lives that we're interacting in, the people that we're investigating and caring for? Do we say we and us when we talk about our brothers and sisters across this globe who are following after the heart of Christ? Do we say we and us in the global movement of Christianity? They're our brothers and our sisters. They are us. And so we have to take ownership. We have to know what we're investing in. We have to say we and us. We have to wonder where our money can be used, where our time can be used, where I can be used. Gain knowledge of situations. You can't have a generous heart if you're just merely spectators and participants in things. And the last concept is this. I just want to throw this your way. Don't be afraid to test God. Like, don't be afraid to test God in this. This is the one thing that God says that you can test me in this, in giving, and it will go well for you. He doesn't say that about anything else. Test him in this. Malachi 3, verse 10 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And look, it is very important to me that we understand this properly and never confuse this with a perverse gospel that is out there called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a belief that some believers have that God's will for them in their life is always physical health and material wealth on earth. That faith and positive interactions and positive thoughts and donations will increase one's material lot here on earth. That is foolishness, absolute foolishness. Our God promised us by faith we get him, and he is more than enough himself. When Jesus said to come and follow me and to pick up your cross, when he invited us to suffer with him, he did, it was not an invitation to believe in him and get a Lexus. It was an invitation to believe in him and get more through him than we ever could possibly imagine. So we reject the prosperity gospel, but we do test God in our giving. He is a God that provides in some ways in material things. He does want to give us good gifts, but he also comes in spiritual things and heavenly rewards. 
We have to understand that rightly and not expect all those things that we give to go well for us on earth. But we test, we test, because his well will never run dry. Like you can't outgive God. It's endless. There's a, there's a lady, her name is Eunice Pike, and she worked with the Mazateca Indians in southwestern Mexico. And she spent a lot of time with these people and observed some very interesting things about them. In her doings with them, she noticed that they would never really wish each other well. In fact, they would never teach each other to share the gospel. If you asked a person how they learned how to break, bake bread, this is what they would tell you. I just know. Sounds like a teenager, right? I just know. Because they believe that there's a limited good, that you can only have as much knowledge as you, you can right now. And if you give some of away, you, you can't re-earn that. So they believe that I don't, I don't wish well to people because it robs me of some of my happiness. I can't love a second child because I'm just going to have to love the first one less. Like they believe in this limited good. And sometimes I think we take this kind of warped thought into God and his mercies and blessings for us that, well, God just has a limited amount. No, his resources are absolutely endless. He fills us back up when we live open-handed lives that don't claim ownership to our possessions and our wealth and our material things, to our time, to our grace, to our truth. He fills us back up. God is not limited on his good. His resources are inexhaustible. So what does this value mean and look like for us personally? Well, personally, it just simply means that we understand that what is mine is his, and what is his is mine. That's it. What is mine is his, and his is mine. That we would value living open-handedly, not clinging to the possessions of our stuff like a warden in a prison allowing them to freely come in and go out as God calls us accordingly. We don't identify ourselves to the world. We identify ourselves with God. That is what it means. We gain knowledge where we can find it. We pursue opportunities where we can give. We get involved. We become owners. Find opportunities where we can be generous. And as a church, it means that we create a place for you to do that well. We create a place for you to do that well, but it also means that we better be generous as a church as well. That our hearts better be open to giving the way that God calls us to give, to be good stewards of the gifts that you give as you follow after God. And look, you're responsible to hold us accountable to that. Don't be afraid to check in to make sure that we're doing this thing well. We need to be good stewards, and it's okay to look in on those things. So these are the four values, ladies and gentlemen. Our four values, truth that guides, pursuit of godliness, loving our neighbors, and generosity in heart. These are the values that we want to seek after in any direction that we take. These are the things that we are pursuing after, that God has laid upon our hearts. But none of these things will do us any good if we refuse to practice them in our lives together. If we refuse to come together in these in Jesus' last prayer before he was taken to be tortured and crucified, he said these words in the Gospel of John. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them 
that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And look, all of these values, I mean, they're noble and virtuous, and, and I, I think they're godly. But if, if we don't practice them in our lives together, then it doesn't mean anything. If we don't practice them in our lives together, it means nothing. We are not a grouping of individuals. Like We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Let's focus on moving towards each other in these areas of values. And use God and let God be the one that moves us there. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I believe with my whole heart that our best days as a church are in front of us. That our best days are in front of us. And it will not be because there are more people in our seats. And it will not be because there is more money in our offering plates. It will be because God has awoken our hearts to see each other with new eyes. That we would see each other and think of how we can encourage and give and care. To lift our burdens, to encourage, to restore each other. That is when this thing will go well. And I believe with all my heart, my whole heart, that God wants to do that in this church. Our best days are in front of us. Whether you believe it or not, those of us who profess Christ in here are family. We are family. We need to start treating each other as such. And look, I know that every family has its squabbles and disagreements, but when things happen, family comes together. And we need to come together. And so, in the spirit of this, let's join together in a time of communion where we are just able to come to the table of God and rejoice and reflect on his redemptive work on the cross for us. So if you're in here today and Jesus Christ is the Lord of your heart, then we invite you to the table. If you're in here and and you don't know where you sit with God, we want you to take some time and reflect. Take stock of your life. But know that it's okay not to participate. No one's going to think of you differently. Communion is a holy sacrament for those who have trusted Christ. And so the band is going to come out we're going to play some music, and we're going to allow you to come up here and join in the Lord's Supper. And we remind you of these symbols. The grape juice up here is symbolizing the shed blood of Jesus Christ as he died for our sin on the cross. That the bread is his torn body that was broken for us. And so let's take some time today and talk to God, and let's make our hearts right with him. And then let's join together around this table as a family. Let's pray. Father, we just give you praise and glory for the things that you're doing in our lives. And we ask, and I ask, Lord, with all my heart, that you would move stuff in our lives, that we would understand you rightly and well, that we would trust you as the Lord of our lives, that we would surrender our will and our thoughts and our ways to you. You are much better served with it than we are. God, this week we just pray that you would increase opportunities for our our eyes to see places in which we could plug in and be generous in our time and our wealth. God, help us to have an open-handed lifestyle that isn't clinging to the possessions of this world, but know that we are on a greater mission towards you. And so, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your words. We love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could not. Amen.